We're back. Here we are. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. It is a new year. <laughs> yep. Um, first show of the year, right? Yeah, yeah, fresh. So, yeah. uh, yeah, and one of the rare times that we're recording, like, the day before the episode comes <laughs> out, so that happened. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the episode, let's thank our Patreon Ooh, sponsors. Let's do that. Thank you, Kathy, Cindy, Allison, Brian, Chelsea, Saria, Travis, Tyler, Jesse, and Brian. Thank you, guys. It's awesome. So that being said, um, Patreon support means a lot to us. It's how we fund the show. Mm-hmm. So if if you want to go to look uh, patreon.com forward slash look what I did, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And it, trust yeah. me, like every dollar matters. It so does. Yeah, it counts. Uh, yeah. And I know it's been like a weird year. And, you know, for some people, finances are, are like maybe not available to, to support you yep. know, the show. Yeah. But you can support us in another way by just like sharing the show with a friend, Please. liking yeah. the show, leaving a review on iTunes is mm-hmm. huge. So we'd love to see a review. Um, and then this year, you know, we're kind of like, even though we don't really have seasons, it feels like the start of a new year. Right. And oh, yeah. so, uh, definitely, uh, collaborating and, and talking about and kind of planning like, uh, mm-hmm. what types of special things we will do for Patreons mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like we generally kind of like do a gift or two a year mm-hmm. and something that we'd normally like make ourselves, uh, even if it's dance videos. Blah. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so, so I'm really looking forward to this year and what this year brings, but, uh, patreon.com forward slash look what I did. Go ahead and sign up for, mm-hmm. you know, a dollar, um, up to the highest level. If you want the, the highest level we have actually gives you like a, a monthly, I think like, uh, just chat with Aaron and I, um, yeah. which we've gotten better at cause that's how we've done most of our interviews <laughs> this year. Um, yeah. And then also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LWID project on Instagram. Yeah. Look what I did on Facebook. Um, Aaron does a great job posting something daily and, um, and we love interacting with you on those platforms oh, yeah. as yeah, well. So, uh, and I know sometimes we forget, but we are part of the voice press network. So <laughs> voicepress.com, you can find us and other finely curated, independently produced podcasts the there finest. as well. Um, some great shows on there. Absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you have a new year's resolution to, um, you know, maybe you're considering adoption, the adoptive mom podcast is mm-hmm. on there yeah. or, uh, getting healthier. We have dad fit podcast, yeah. um, with Greg up in New York and, uh, or you want to learn about something new, something, um, creative, something that might spark your creative process or mind, right? Like, uh, that's, that's our show. Heck um, yeah. so, and that being said, sorry, what were you? No. Oh, but that being said, like this episode is, uh, really unique in a lot of ways because it, it's not yeah. Yeah. a profession that I necessarily would be like, oh, there's a ton of creativity in it, right? Like it seems mm-hmm. very mechanical, but um, a friend of mine is an optometrist and he does uh, like focuses mostly on like rehabilitative therapy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's one of those episodes where like we kind of just spend the whole episode talking about how your eyes work and yeah. like and what yeah. you can do to, you know, kind of offset or correct a problem Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mostly we talk about like a, a specific problem, right? but, uh, it was, it, to me, it was really fascinating. Right. And then like, I love board games and that kind of comes into the picture and I love video games and we talk about yeah. that and like, um, how those can be helpful and beneficial as well. So it, it's just cool to like, look at something that like with a different lens, um, mm-hmm. yeah. no pun intended, but like, <laughs> there's creativity in, in arguably every profession, right? Yeah, and, yeah. If you choose to employ it. And so I think maybe that's the the coolest thing out of this conversation is like, there's oftentimes more going on behind the scenes than we may yes. give it credit for. Always, always, always. I was left after this was over with like a few more questions and a few more like things of like, I wonder what he thinks about this. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. He poses some yeah. good questions too, so. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a really fun episode, and and you know I I say it in the episode like I I've known Jacob for a while, you know, mm-hmm. like and we don't often sit around and talk about our jobs, and yep. so it's just it was cool to kind of like 
he really is, mm-hmm. you know, excellent at what he does. And I believe in the in the area that we live in, he is like one of the leading experts on what he does. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. it's it, very cool to have him here and talk about it. But yep. I would say, um, you know, without further ado, Mr. Jacob DeFore. Enjoy. Okay. I see. Let's start with let's start with who you are and what you do. I'm Jacob Dufour. <laughs> I'm an optometrist and I work with patients with developmental or acquired neurological vision disorders. Ooh. I don't I'm not even gonna pretend to know it know what no. that means. So so I, I will tell everybody like th- this is a little bit of a weird interview because Jacob kindly like took a COVID test and then quarantined and then he's actually been at my house since like New Year's Eve hanging out and Ooh. uh uh, but you know, I thought about having Jacob on the show for a while and this just kind of like was an opportune moment, but Aaron is remote and we're like <laughs> looking at him over an iPad and then Jacob and I are here, um, in the room. But so like normally we wouldn't, I don't think of optometrists like, and we had this conversation Aaron a long time ago, right? Like, um, how are we defining creativity? Right. Like, right. Right. Uh, and understanding that there's creativity in in every profession, but like we've kind of tended to stay away from like like the more typical right like professions. But what I think right. is cool that you do, Jacob, is um, is this like therapy aspect because it's something that like like when I think of an optometrist, I think of going and getting my eyes checked and like getting corrective lenses so I can see better, or whatever. But um, t- like. Tell us more about the therapy thing. Cause the little bit I've talked to you about that in the past, like there is really an element of like creativity and problem solving that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's fairly correct. So yeah, generally when you go to your, your typical eye doctor, uh, they're checking your glasses, prescription contact, uh, prescription and the, the health of your eyes. Um, what I focus on is actually the visual part of your brain. And so actually about the whole back half of your brain is devoted to visual information processing. Um, I thought we didn't use like 90% of our brain. And now you're telling me that 90% of it is just for looking at stuff. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So, uh, just like our brains learn to do anything, you know, babies come out of the womb and they have to learn to walk. They have to learn to talk. Um, similarly, uh, we have to learn to see clearly. Um, and so if something goes wrong in the visual system, um, if the, for whatever reason, a number of reasons, uh, the visual system is not able to develop the way it, it's supposed to, uh, the visual system starts to make compromises. Um, and a really big one <clears throat> is that the two eyes will stop working together. Um, so you've heard of the term like a lazy eye. Um, mm-hmm. And what that means is that, again, the, the two eyes didn't quite learn to work together. And so the brain made a, a compromise and decided just to use one eye and allow that eye to develop, uh, while the other eye essentially is lazy. Um, and, and that part of really the, that part of the brain doesn't develop. So what I do, uh, in, in my clinic is we work with those types of patients to stimulate that part of the brain and develop, um, what they're missing. So wow. you have like an exercise regimen for <laughs> cross <CrossFit>. an eyeball. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, so you I'll, have to go through this <laughs> optical course and then <laughs> yeah, dad oh. joke number one. <laughs> yeah. So we get that a lot. So, you know, parents or patients are like, okay, so you're going to have my child look at things <laughs> differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So what we do is we create visual environments that are unique and stimulating to uh, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. Uh, so traditionally, uh, to work on a lazy eye of, you know, for a hundred years plus, uh, doctors would recommend an eye patch. And so you would essentially cover up, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the working eye or the quote unquote, the good eye and allow the underdeveloped eye, uh, to start to see better and get experience and visual exposure and development. Um, and that works okay. And it does develop that eye independently. Uh, but the issue there is that, um, again, on the visual part of the brain, only 15% of, of your visual part of the brain is processing information from one eye mm. and the other 15% from the other eye, um, which leaves 70% of the visual part of your brain processing uh, information from both eyes. And so uh, what you know, a traditional therapy like uh, patching an eye fails to do is to work on that majority 70% of the visual part of the brain mm-hmm. uh, 
to, to develop and, and get the eyes working together. Uh, so yeah, in, in our clinic, we create visual uh, uh, situations and uh, environments that allow the two eyes to work together and also to allow uh, the weaker eye to kind of play catch up. And uh, what we do uh, for a lot of those activities is actually use uh, the old 3D glasses. So they're called tranoglyph glasses. Like you may remember the, the blue and red. Yeah, blue and red or red yeah. and green. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, that creates a really unique um, environment and kind of uh, setup and workspace to create all sorts of games and activities and therapies uh, for uh, patients with this kind of vision disorder. Uh, so, um, you know, some, some things that are out there is, is they <laughs> some uh, doctors have, have reprogrammed the game Tetris into uh, a red and green uh, design so that hmm. it works with these glasses. And so there's actually a few studies done with, you know, this, these patients uh, playing Tetris with these special glasses on, and it, it's shown to be very effective. Um, so there are some, uh, you know, essentially like video game uh, activities and, and therapies. Uh, in my work, uh, I actually focus more in, in real space. Uh, and so I design card games and uh, different activities uh, for uh, for kids of all ages to do therapy with, so it's maybe not so painstaking. So, well, first of all, I don't know why you're stepping away from video games if that's an option. Like, <laughs> we're going to take this old school and we're going to play jacks. Um, <laughs> but way more dangerous. So, like yeah. the, so red and green, you said? Yeah, typically uh, we actually use a, a, a red and green filter um, in real space. Uh, what you're thinking of with the 3D movies being red and blue. Uh, is a little different uh, because it comes from the difference between uh, uh, light coloring versus pigment coloring. Uh, so you may be a little mm. familiar with that. Well, I guess what I was getting, like, so you make like, and like in Tetris, you make one of the pieces red, one of the pieces green, mm -hmm. but because I'm playing on the same screen, you're kind of forcing my, right? Because one eye can only see one color and the other eye can only exactly. see the other col color, but I know that they're, working together. So you're just kind of like tricking me into paying attention to the same space. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what would typically happen in, in a patient with a, a lazy eye is that, uh, yeah, the, the environment that we create, um, allows, you know, one eye to see a certain set of images or targets and the other eye to see a totally different set. Um, and with a patient with, um, amblyopia or lazy eye, um, the quote unquote amblyopic or, or weaker eye, uh, will usually, um, be what's called suppressed or essentially totally turned off by the brain. Mm. And so uh, amblyopic patients really struggle uh, to see one of the images, aka the images being seen through their poor, weaker eye. Um, but with practice, they can learn to use that eye while also receiving visual information from their dominant eye. Um, so it teaches them to work together. This, so this is going to... Wow. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in insensitive to the subject right mm -hmm. but like what so typically when i think of a lazy eye i think of an eye that's like not oriented the same direction as it like mm -hmm. why why does that visual like marker exist right like like because what we're saying is that eyes just not processing information and then sharing it with the other eye but like I mean, is it just like resting? Like, I mean, what's the. Yeah. So, um, the brain is, is literally shutting it down and inhibiting, um, all of the visual information and neurological information that's coming from the eye to the brain. Um, it's, it's shutting it down at its first entry gate into the brain. So you're just not seeing out you're, of that eye at all at all. And Interesting. So, huh. And yeah, it is kind of just hanging out and being lazy. Uh, now, what you described with the eyes being um, not aligned um, is just one type of a lazy eye. So you can have uh, mm -hmm. a lazy eye or an amblyopic eye um, because the eyes don't line up. So you have an eye that crosses in towards your nose or drifts out and or like wall-eyed. Um, that misalignment can be the cause that the brain shuts off one of the eyes. Uh, if the brain didn't shut off an eye and you had a, an eye misalignment like that, you would actually see double all the time. And so... Actually, <laughs> it's a little better to only see out of one eye than huh. to see double all the time. See 3D? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, but like, okay, so a, a misaligned eye could actually cause 
ambly amblyopia amblyopia i learned a word um (laughs) that i will forget i will not get that in the next like whatever trivia night has that really impressive amblyopia um (laughs) but it sounds like it's actually possible to have a lazy eye that you wouldn't like there wouldn't be a visual like marker of that right like the eye would actually be aligned correctly like how do you even determine that there's a difference at that point between like what I would assume would almost come across as blindness. Yeah. Right. Versus like that is just not processing the information or, or is blindness just not processing the information sometimes as well. Like what, I mean, so like we talked about, um, I mentioned, you know, for X, Y, Z reasons when we're born, if the two eyes can't work together for some reason, uh, this, this, uh, syndrome will start to happen where the, the brain kind of inhibits one eye and, and mm. just focuses on, on one eye to be the dominant eye. Um, so the causes for that, uh, the common causes are, are misalignment, so a crossed eye or an eye that drifts out. Um, a second type is actually a glasses prescription, so it's not uncommon that um, we'll assess maybe a two-year-old who has a really strong prescription in one eye and no prescription in the other eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if that's not caught early enough, uh, that eye with the really strong prescription um, can't see very clearly, and the brain recognizes that. So, uh, it the brain will will focus its developmental energy towards you know, the oh, eye. Oh, you're actually little. enabling wow. a, a lazy eye situation mm-hmm. at that point. So, like, there's something to be said for like leaving that eye alone and letting it try to catch up and develop. Uh, to to an extent. So, our our visual process um, has a developmental um, pattern. Uh, and that is we're typically actually born with a little bit of a glasses prescription. And then by age six or seven, we kind of grow out of it. And so, mm. yeah, my job, if I see a, you know, a two or three year old with a fairly strong glasses prescription is to give them enough of a glasses prescription to help them out. So it's not too big of a developmental hurdle, um, but also allow for that natural developmental process to happen. So we can try to get that prescription to come down. Mm. Um, but specifically in the cases with uh, amblyopic patients, if there's a, a really strong prescription in one eye, yeah, we, we do want to help it out um, so that it's uh, can you know it, it can play with others and <laughs> it, it can, can partake in what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, contribute so, to yeah, yeah. So that that uh, stronger gla- glasses prescription can can be another cause for a lazy eye, and and you're not going to see the eye you know misaligned by in any respect. Um, those are the, the primary two causes, either, you know, the misalignment or the strong prescription. And then mm-hmm. a more rare form of, of uh, uh, etiology for, for uh, ambly- amblyopia is uh, deprivation. And so you maybe heard of like some babies are born with cataracts or, or uh, mm-hmm. uh, an ocular condition where the eye itself didn't develop right or, or there's some problems mm-hmm. there. Uh, and, and that's a, you know, a more rare cause for, for amblyopia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really maybe where you would, you know, really more formally consider it blindness. Mm. So is your, is the, th- oh, I have so many questions now. Is your, is the therapy work like mostly just focused on amblyopia? Like, is that, cause that's no, like, not the- at all. okay. All right. <laughs> then I, I have more questions since that leads, I shouldn't have started with that one. So I have a selfish question since you're here, um, that I've always wondered. So like as a kid, I would read going to bed, right? And like you might might have a flashlight or you're kind of like trying to read by mm-hmm. moonlight or whatever like um, ambient light sort of around you. And, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, your parents are always like, yep. don't do that. It'll wear your eyes out. Um, <laughs> is that, is that actually <laughs> true? Like, because it seems like to some extent, like, I mean, we're sort of saying exercising them isn't terrible. <laughs> I've all <laughs> mysteries uncovered. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I just want to know, mostly so I can tell my dad if yeah. I was like, no, Willie was fine for me to read by this candle. <laughs> TV did not uh, yeah, rot my is, brain either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the segment where we have the call, you know, listeners call in with all of their weird uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> questions. A whole um, new show. <laughs> yeah. So, um, hey, this redefines the t- the uh, title of the show. Look what I did, right? Oh, like, wow. Some people can't even see what you did. Yeah. If it wasn't for Jacob, I couldn't look at what we did. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> there Aaron you go. Is a patient of mine. One of the absolute best I had. So, so yeah. unfortunately, Aww. Jacob made it so Aaron can see the flaws in my work. All right. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, if there's dim lighting. Uh, you know, is that straining your eyes? It can. So uh, that dim lighting uh, or, or essentially poor contrast to a page uh, causes the focusing muscle to work a, lo- a little bit harder. It's a little more confused about how to focus. It's going to cause mm. a little bit of a strain. But as far as I'm aware, there's not any strong correlations or any studies that show like, you know, well, that's why you ended up wearing glasses and, and mm. uh, you know, being a little nearsighted. 
Um, so. so it's not optimal, but it's not necessarily going to hurt you in the same way that like overly bright light isn't optimal and arguably actually might because like snow blindness, right? Like I've actually felt like I've had that from reading a book outside, like a paper book mm -hmm. where like the sun's reflecting off right. the white pages. <laughs> and then you like, you know, you, you quit mm -hmm. reading at, after some point, like it really feels like your eyes are like burnt out, you know, like bunny ears, but like it kind of does, right? <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. And so, and, and most people probably have this experience when uh, they're, they're outside in the summer, say 4th of July, it's really bright. You're outside by the pool or something. Then mm -hmm. you go inside really quickly. Uh, and then it's almost like you can't see at all from after after coming in the the, mm -hmm. the sunlight and and that has to do with actually the cells inside of the eye actually fatigue and so they get stimulated by that really intense bright light and if they do it so much when you go inside um, the the cells that are supposed to allow you to see in darkness are just totally wiped out from all of the bright light and so it takes them a few minutes mm -hmm. to kind of recover and get going again. Oh, that's weird. I always thought it was because like your pupils probably got super super small to filter out some of the light. So when you walk in, like you just literally can't like <laughs> take in as many light waves. Oh no, yeah, but... the the pupil actually responds very quickly. Um, so it, when you go inside, it'll dilate very quickly. Uh, but you know the, the limiting factor is that actually the you've heard of the rods and the cones. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. so it's the rod cells get. Uh, kind of burnt out in the sunlight. So your cells just go on lunch and then you're like, I need you back. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, we're not ready. <laughs> Siesta time. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, how does distance and phone screens and computer screens affect, you know, like what we were talking about with books and eye strain, you know, now there's glasses mm -hmm. with like blue light blockers, you know, or different things like that. How have you seen that kind of take an uptick since people younger of ages, especially more and more have phones and mobile devices? Yeah. Screen time. Uh, so that, yeah, that's the million dollar question today. Uh, there's a, a whole lot of research that is being done about uh, nearsightedness and why that occurs. Historically, we know uh, there's the uh, stereotype of the, the kid with his nose in the book needing glasses. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so there have been some correlations drawn between uh, excessive, what we call near work or, or things done within arm's reach mm -hmm. um, and correlated with becoming nearsighted. Um, and and the, the greater concern uh, visually is, is mostly the, the distance, actually. So uh, the folk, we actually have a, a muscle inside of our eye that focuses when we look up close. And so um, normally, if you're looking far away, if you know, you have your glasses on or you don't have a glasses prescription, that focusing muscle is totally relaxed in the distance. And mm -hmm. then when we look up close to read something in hand, uh, our eye has to actually change shape and a muscle has to uh, constrict uh, to, to allow the focus of the eye to um, adjust for up close. Mm. Um, and so the closer something gets, it exponentially gets harder for the eye. And so, um, you know, with books, we kind of had a standard reading distance of about 40 centimeters or so or 18 inches. And with the advent of phones and, and device technology with screens in hand, um, because those screens are so much smaller, it's just mm -hmm. a, a natural tendency for us to bring it even closer yeah. uh, to take up more of our visual field. For the same reason we like to go to the movie theater and have that big screen, it takes up more of our visual space mm -hmm. that we see. That's why uh, we, you know, we're driven to bring that phone closer to us. So yeah. uh, it, it takes up more of a visual space. And so, yeah, the big question is, is what kind of damage is that doing to our eyes? A from a distance standpoint, and B from, uh, as you mentioned, the you know the blue light or the, the LED or LCD screens in themselves. Um, so the jury's still out as far as the distance. Um, I think there's a lot of research being done to figure out if if that is going to drive uh, the next generation to be a little more nearsighted. Mm. Um, and I, I think we'll just have to wait to yeah. kind of see how that unfolds a little bit, unfortunately. But I, I give uh, all my patients and parents the advice, like, well, just be cautious with it. We don't exactly know what it, it's doing to the, you know, the young developing visual system. But to be on yeah. the safe side, we want to kind of have it at a good distance, a little further away, and then also take breaks every 20 or 30 minutes or so yeah. not to overdo it. Which nobody does. Which nobody yeah. does. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like, and the break probably needs to be longer than five minutes because you like <laughs> set your phone. You know, I feel like that's a like, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's amazing how much my kids even will like just stream YouTube or play oh. Roblox or whatever the thing is. Right. And it's like hours mm -hmm. and hours of it. Absolutely. And I, I'm guilty of the same thing. I'll play video games for a mm -hmm. while or same. even editing might be a couple hours of, you know, like, I don't know, a computer might be moderately better than a phone maybe because it tends to be a little bit farther away, but it's also Correct. still big and mm -hmm. taking up my visual mm -hmm. field. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, so 
the the other thing that I like the question I was going to ask is, um, you know, when you talk about developing exercises, and I, I think in full disclosure, like I've known you for a number of years, right? And it's like we don't really often talk about your profession. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. And one, I'll point out that when you're talking about eyes, you get this very like bedside manner like type of like <laughs> Jacob is maybe one of the most like hyper energetic human beings I know. He's like a human squirrel. Like um yeah. so like yeah. it's funny to like hear hear you in like doctor mode. Doctor mode, right? Cuz it's just it's just a different and I think everybody does that. Like you have like this is me with my friends, this is me with my spouse, this is me with my parents, this is me with my kids, yes. right? Like or at work. Yeah. Like um like I know I even changed the register of my voice, but yeah, like uh, and, and I want to get into like, uh, more about you because you are like just a really creative, interesting human being. And I, and I think that's got to feed some of, of what you're doing at work, right? Like, yeah. like when Aaron and I talk to creative people, like it's, it's, I don't know if it's ever been a, like, oh, I just did this one thing for a super long time. I got really good at it. And now here I am. Like you're generally kind of feeding in. Uh-huh. other things and other pieces. Right. And so I think that's a segue into, um, you know, if Tetris works and a card game works or like something in a, in a visual environment works, like what's driving the, the impetus to change or develop or improve? Like what helps you make the decision about, I think I can make this environment better for somebody to, to, to help reduce their amblyopia. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's not amblyopia. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand the question. So, like, okay, if if I'm playing Tetris in red and green, right, mm-hmm. and that's working, mm-hmm. but it seems like when we have talked, you're talking about like developing new tools oh, okay. to help mm-hmm. improve that eye performance, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. Yeah. what's what's driving that? Is it reading other people's research? Is it just sitting there and thinking about it like under a tree somewhere? And you're just like, you know, I I bet if we did this, it might work better. I mean, like, like that to me is, is our million dollar question, right? Is like, what's driving Mm -hmm. that creativity? Um, so professionally what's driving that creativity for me is, is patient outcomes. And so what we have available today, uh, is good, but it's not perfect. Uh, we can take a kid who has uh, a lazy eye or amblyopic eye, uh, and we can improve their vision um, usually twofold. So we can make it, you know, if they're seeing 2100, we can improve that down to 2050, which is twice as small. Um, that's kind of our, our standard goal. Um, but it's hard and difficult to, to get that patient to maybe see a perfect 2020 out of that eye. Um, and also to develop depth perception. So mm. uh, everyone generally thinks of seeing 2020 or seeing clearly as you know the, the high to, highest level of, of vision, um, but actually seeing depth uh, and our, our depth perception is um, is the highest level of vision development. And Wait, so, if you don't have 2020, or if you you could have 2020 vision and not have depth perception. Absolutely. So our depth perception actually comes from our eye alignment. And remember, we talked about that 70% of the visual part of the brain processing information from both mm. eyes together. That's a lot of what it's doing is it's comparing images from one eye versus the other eye to give you our stereoscopic or, or depth view. What I'm hearing is you could have solved Tom Cruise's problem in Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that his problem that he didn't have depth perception? I don't know. I think I think that was the thing. I don't I don't remember that. All I can remember is the Polaroid shot. No, I thought there was something where like <laughs> like maybe it's a different movie, but I thought there I thought there was a movie where like he he was grounded from flying because of like a vision problem and I thought it was depth perception. Uh, maybe maybe I'm that. thinking of a totally different movie. I don't what know. Fun, though, is we, I don't know. We do see a lot of patients in our clinic who have this type of problem and want to be pilots. Uh, I have plenty of, of patients who their goal is to join the armed forces and for whatever position they want XYZ, they have to have a certain level of vision. Um, and so we'll work with those patients to, to help them get to, the, to that. Point. So that's weird. Cause I think the standard understanding, my standard understanding, I can't speak for the whole world <laughs> is depth perception is my two eyes work together. Right. And so in my head hearing that, you know, cause you, you hear that, okay, if I close my right eye now I've lost depth perception. Right. right. And so when, if you say something has 20, 20 vision, the automatic assumption would be, okay, then you have depth perception because both eyes are working, but you're saying that there's actually like another piece of this puzzle where I can 
both eyes can see, but aren't layering that as something that creates like, I guess, a 3D depth effect. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. nuts. <laughs> so, um, like we said, uh, the reason amblyopia initially arises is because the two eyes aren't working together. And so, uh, yes, one eye, a dominant eye, can develop to see 20-20. And then even later, say we patch the eye or we do some sort of uh, vision therapy or exercises to help improve the quality of vision and clarity in the amblyopic mm -hmm. eye or the weaker eye, uh, even if we get that to 20-20, that we just developed in the weaker eye, just that 15% of the brain devoted to that eye specifically. And we haven't done any work on that 70% that's processing the information mm -hmm. together. So mm -hmm. yeah, the, the phrase 2020 just refers to, you know, how small of a letter you can see or how clear your vision is, but that is just one eye, um, independent of the other. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, after we've improved clarity of vision, our next goal, uh, with these patients is to actually improve how their eyes are working together, which again was kind of the underlying cause of the problem to begin with. Okay. So like a hearing implant, Right. Like it's a computer that's kind of it's doing something that passes that information through to a, something in the brain that processes <laughs> that. Not a doctor, um, not a canine, not a canine audiologist. That's one. That's one. So like uh, I don't remember. We were on a float trip with, with your cousin, with your cousin. And like, of course, you do that whole like, what do you do conversation yeah. or whatever. And uh I don't know why I said it, but I was like, oh, I'm a canine audiologist. And like <laughs> Jacob just rolled with it. And like it's now, I mean, it's been a couple of years yeah. and it's just like a running joke. And I'm definitely not like, uh, I didn't even know about amblyopia until today. Um, I'll have to think of what audiopia is, but uh, I guess it'd be ambliaudio. Am sure. Ambliaudio. Yeah, I'll, I'll make up something. Um, but like we gave this lazy whole listeners. That, like, yeah. <laughs> um like uh but we gave a whole backstory that like i i developed dog whistles for a company yeah. or something like it was this whole like ridiculous uh yeah that, that was a great float trip that was also the one where you like vaulted out of a kayak from a sitting position to a tiny wet rock because there was a spider in the kayak oh, yeah. it was the most athletic oh. thing i've ever seen happen <laughs> and also the funniest because you panicked um that, uh, that right. was a great moment. Yeah, you don't have to be very brave to be an optometrist, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's stories there, too. Uh, okay, but I, what I was going to say is, so could you put, like, just a little chip that would connect the information from the eyes and, like, feed the brain that direct signal that would, right? Like, that would kind of bridge that lack of communication in the 70%? Um, maybe one day, but we're nowhere near that technology now. Um, I, batteries would be too I, big. I don't even just a nine volt hanging out of your like, <laughs> yeah, the, the belt pack would be a pain in the butt. Yeah. I can't drive home. I have to charge my car and my eyes. <laughs> just get a Tesla. Yeah. Uh, so I don't claim to know anything about hearing aids or audiology in the remote slightest, but, um, from my understanding, hearing aids work just by amplifying the sound, right? which is almost comparable to what you might think of as What's well, a hearing aid, but an implant. Yeah, so they're the cochlear implants. Like, yeah, right? I think um, that actually does something different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but yeah, that is implanted in the inner ear and actually, I think, helping to produce the neurological uh, you know, stimulation. Gotcha. Um, so there are, I guess, correlating vision implants that actually go, they actually go inside of the eye, and that's like very cutting-edge technology. I think they're working over in Asia somewhere to, to do it, but... So I had a neighbor that had a bionic eye. Like, hmm. I mean, it looks like a normal eye. Was it kind of glowed red, though? But, so, but yes, and he did this <laughs> do-do-do-do-do <laughs> every time he walked through a room. Uh, had um, a laser. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, and I've got a, I have no reason not to believe him, right? Like, but it, it was always kind of like... <laughs> Like this seems like super cutting edge, but supposedly he had an eye that was somehow powered by like I don't know if it was a little camera or like what it did. Like I I don't like that's not something you're super familiar with. Yeah, no, not really. I've I've read a few articles about that kind of stuff, but um, I mean, this would also be like five years ago. So hmm, now I'm gonna have to contact this person and be like, so yeah. pull your eye out and let me see the the cable. I want to see the <laughs> HDMI cable. 
Okay, well, I'm not going to go more down that road. I just thought maybe I know I knew a person with a bionic eye, but now I, I mean, just know a person that yeah, a good wants liar. to be a Terminator. Yeah. yeah. To, to your point of though, of like uh, advancing the technology and you know how do we help these patients? Um, so, like I said, I I emphasize real world experiences um, uh, because there's something to be said about um, true depth perception that we only perceive in the real world versus like mm -hmm. a video game, which is two dimensional. Uh, you don't get that depth perception. Now, what's really cool is what's coming out is uh, they have developed uh, virtual reality. I was going to uh, say, VR games. seems like a perfect yeah, option here. Yeah, like, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it's ideal. It, it's very, very cool. So there's uh, at least one major company out there uh, that's working on developing, you know, VR programs uh, that uh, focus on vision disorders like this. And so what's cool mm -hmm. is in your VR headset, it, you have the exact same setup um, as with any of these environments that we create in therapy is that one eye is going to see a certain image and the other eye is going to see another. And, yeah. uh, you know, with the advent of technology, you know, we can program those settings so that, you know, the, the weaker eye either has a brighter signal or a bigger, a bigger target that's trying to look at, um, to help stimulate and, mm. and kind of essentially wake up that eye and get it to develop more. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's, been coming out the past maybe seven years or so and it's, it's very cool i love very how exciting. it's a medical solution with an obvious automatic side effect of like you'll be able to see but you're gonna be nauseous all the time <laughs> right yeah and i've actually so i've gone to these conferences and, and tried out those vr sets um and and that is uh, a side effect even i feel is, is you know if anyone's done vr it's, if you're in there for even you know 10 minutes or so you start to feel that that dizziness and nausea uh, that has to do with actually how your visual system talks with your inner ear going back there um, it's for the same reason we get motion sick and car sick. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely a bug for them to fix. <laughs> Best New Year issues. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to go with that because I'm stuck. I don't have yeah. one. Me too. <laughs> um, hey, you've got some Christmas money lying around and you want a cool Look What I Did tee? Boy, do we have those. Mm -hmm. You can go to lookwhatidid.net and you can get a t-shirt. Yeah. You can get a poster. Um, mm -hmm. That's a great one-off way of yeah. supporting the show. Stickers. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So definitely check that out. And then hopefully, and I like I sincerely mean this, I really hope by the end of the year or middle of the year, we're kind of back out. Oh yeah. Um, maybe festivals are happening or craft fairs mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and being able to be a part of those and yeah. just interact with people. I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, yeah. you know, social media is a great way to find out where we're going to be or mm -hmm. what the plans are. Um, and until then we'll keep bringing you like, you know, kind of this newly formatted show of socially distanced <laughs> conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, which has been a real, you know, blessing in disguise in a lot of ways. We've yeah. gotten to talk with and interact with mm -hmm. some people that we might not have before. So, right. Um, yeah, but go to lookwhatidid.net. Hopefully mm -hmm. we'll at some point be back out in the world and putting new photos up there and, yeah. um, you know, give you a reason to visit. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I have anything no, else. And no. thanks, Will, again for our ish Dude, music, which still is still it. great. Still love it. Yep. Yeah. My favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm kidding. All right. I have a VR headset, right? It's a low level one. It's for the PlayStation, but like it, it's pretty decent. But I've only, I've found that the only time I ever start to feel like maybe a little uh, is in games where there's like, normal walking movement in the mm -hmm, games mm -hmm. um my sort of band-aid fix to that was to like almost march in place <laughs> uh like like somehow that kind of helped a little bit it mm -hmm, seemed like uh -huh. but like it does seem like and i guess we're getting well i mean but your eyes play into this right so like Absolutely. i'm seeing something mm -hmm. that isn't matching any other like sensory cue around me right like mm -hmm. and yeah that disconnect is just causing your brain to be like, Oh, I don't feel good. Like th this is none of this is right. Is mm -hmm. that what's happening? Like, yeah, as a canine audi audiologist, you picked up on that pretty quickly. I think that's to, to, to go through that. Well, you that know, in canine audiology yeah. school, I think that, uh, that's, uh, um, but no, actually that what you're describing is our, our visual spatial orientation system. And I mentioned, I, I work with developmental patients, uh, with neurological vision disorders. Um, I also work on the, on the rehab side of things. So adults after brain injuries of car accidents, strokes, 
um, head injuries, concussions. Um, typically, the the visual problem uh, with a, with a head injury is to this visual spatial orientation system. Um, we talked about how. <clears throat> Essentially, the back half of the brain is processing visual information. About 80% of the brain is involved with visual information in general, either mm. you know, getting secondary information or communicating with the visual part of the brain. That is crazy. 80%, 80% is visual? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's involved with visual information. So uh, the, it's either receiving uh, information from the visual centers or relaying information back to the visual centers. I'm kind of shocked that like <laughs> hearing isn't somehow more, right? Because like no offense to our eyes, but like hearing is useful all the time in every situation, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're almost never in a sensory deprivation tank. So in total pitch blackness, hearing can give me like orientation to something sure. or whatever, but like visually I'm only good for what, you know, like so 18 hours a day, maybe, you know, yeah, I mean but, like, so, but to answer, I guess the solve the riddle here is, is would you rather lose your hearing or lose your sight? Hmm. So we rely Can I just more lose on one of each, system. like left eye, right ear. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, our visual system is what allows us to move through space, um, and so that's why. I wonder how a deaf person would like pick that. <laughs> you know, yeah, like because sure. we rely on hearing. I mean, what, part of the VR thing, and uh, as I'm arguing with a professional in this field, <laughs> um, as I want to do, the, the, I guess this year will just be like. Daniel being opinionated about things he doesn't know anything about, but, <laughs> but I mean, to some extent, like, um, cause hearing plays into your equilibrium, correct? Yeah. So, uh, let me just kind of explain a little further maybe. So, uh, the visual spatial orientation system or the spatial orientation system, uh, primarily draws from three different sens sensory systems. Um, so when we move through space, if we're walking around, uh, we're getting visual information, um, and generally when we think of visual information, people overemphasize clarity of vision, right? So I'm walking down the street, I see, I can read that street sign, I can see the car, I'm focusing on what things are uh, and seeing them clearly. <clears throat> um, but only half of our visual information is processing clarity and what things are, the color and, and detail and things like that. The other half of visual information is actually trying to figure out where things are in space. So it mm -hmm. says, okay, the street sign's here, the car's over there, and allows us to navigate through our, our spatial world. Um, and so that part of the visual part of the brain uh, is, is very important to uh, orientation and, and stability. Uh, and so uh, that visual information and about where things are in space uh, communicates with um, our inner ear, is, I think, where you're getting the hearing from, and, and hearing as well, because, um, you know, we can localize where things are. At yeah, you're actually, like, mm -hmm. you, you're hearing hundreds of sounds sure. all the time, and you're actually able to place those in space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. At an auditory level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I should be a canine audiologist. <laughs> cool. uh, but uh, another uh, and very, very important system in our inner ear is called the vestibular system, um, and that's the system that gets activated when our head moves. Um, so if you turn your head or if you're moving forward or backward through space, you're activating a system that senses motion. Um, and it's mm -hmm. designed as like these kind of little sacs or tubes like that gyroscope. have little, they have, little <laughs> uh, have fluid and maybe even these little rocks inside that literally sense the movement as you move back and forth through space oh, or spin. Like the little desk toy where you just hit the ball and like all six balls move. Like that's just like. Uh, kind of, but no. No, but not like could, that at all. We can envision that and that that's, seems really cool. So that vestibular system uh, talks with your, your visual system, and they have to agree on the movement. So if I'm walking down the street, visually I should see uh, you know, my surroundings move past me at a certain rate, and that should agree with what my vestibular system says that we're moving forward with. So there, wow. there should be a connection there. Um, and that, that also goes along with uh, a third system that is very important here, and that's called the proprioceptive system, and that's body awareness. Uh, so that's what allows me to close my eyes and raise my hand and know that my hand is above my head or below my head or out to this side. Um, there's actually a feedback system in our muscles that tell our, our brains uh, what our body position is. Like your orientation to everything. That's, yeah, yeah. Huh. And so all three of those systems have to agree. And so um, if I'm walking down the street, my you know the proprioceptive system says, hey, we're, we're moving and at this kind of rate. Your vestibular system says, yep, we're moving at that rate. And the visual system says, oh yeah, all the stuff's moving by me. Everything's mm -hmm. in agreement. Um, now when there's disagreement, say when we're in a car where visually things are going really fast, 
Um, but actually, if you're moving at the, a consistent rate, the vestibular system is not really activated. So you get all this visual movement um, with no vestibular input um, or, you know, seasickness where you got all the up and down and the vestibular system is very, very activated. But say you're inside um, of a cabin and visually you're not seeing any movement at all. And there's that disagreement. That's where you get nauseous, right? Hmm. What, so why does a car driver seem to never get car sick, but the passenger, because your, your inputs seem to be the same, right? Correct. Like, yeah, that's very interesting. So the, um, the argument is that, you know, when you get car sick or seasick, what do they tell you to do? They, they tell you to focus on the horizon and that gives you a sense of space. But, um, we, the, sad answer is that we actually don't really know exactly why the drivers don't um, suffer so much from, from motion sickness. sickness. Um, could be that they're using them. We know that they're using their brains differently um, yeah. driving versus just And they're probably passenger. working on like, they're focusing on more of a fixed point where a passenger might just literally be like seeing stuff mm -hmm. right. race by. Yeah, and right. so for the driver, it's a little slower pace, yeah. right? Because you're kind of like approaching so, an object. Yeah, I don't Makes have a sense, clean answer, yeah. but there's that's, definitely those that's differences. That's weird. That's mm -hmm. really, yeah. Yes. I, I, so I'm going to answer your question. I think I'd rather lose my eyesight. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Deal. All right. Sit down. No, I'll get my kit. <laughs> my reason being, and, and like I was thinking this the whole time you were talking, but like to me, um, like emotion is predominantly carried through. Like I really love music. I really love conversation. I really like, like you can a lot of times hear that faster than you can see it right or like over the telephone or whatever whatever the situation might be and so like in a weird way i think like i would hate to lose my hearing because there's a lot of like i love the audio texture of the world around me and not that i don't love the visual texture as well right mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. um I, I know you weren't asking me to answer your rhetorical question <laughs> but i honestly like i kind of think like uh, i might rather be blind i don't okay well which one would be more debilitating to your movement through space is it harder for you to walk oh, around your house? I mean, fair. Like, yeah, yeah I think it would be or with a blindfold. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it would definitely be harder for me yeah. to move. So, I mean, that becomes the question then, right? Like, what are you, what would, what are you willing to trade if you had to make a trade, right? Yeah. Like what, what are you willing to give up? Mm -hmm. I would hate to lose music. Yeah. <laughs> I really would. Oh, like, you know, soundtracks yeah. to movies or like, mm -hmm. um, I just think of the way those things work in concert. Although I guess if I couldn't see the movie, the soundtrack might matter less. Um, yeah. Don't hang up. Uh, okay. So I feel like we've actually talked about like optometry a <laughs> sure. lot. Yeah. Um, but what got you like, I don't feel like optometry is something that a lot of people wake up and they're like, eye doctor, definitely going to be an eye doctor. I mean, like, what pulls you that direction? Yeah, I, right. I, I was never the kid growing up who, who knew what I wanted to do. You still don't know what you want to do. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, this is obvious. So even, I remember it was second grade. I had to do you know, your second grade, like diorama project or whatever of like what you wanted to be when you grew up nobody and should ask a second grader that question a my daughter would have given an answer purple power ranger that was a literal answer in second grade and in her head fully legitimate so yeah um uh-huh so I remember very specifically my diorama was I got a Charlie Brown figure, like a little adult, like figurine thing. And I stuck him and he had like a, I made an easel and a, uh, uh, like a little paint pad and everything. And, and I wanted to be an artist. That second grader, I thought I wanted to be an artist. Uh, and that metamorphosized throughout, uh, you know, me maturing into junior high and high school. I thought maybe more like architecture would be cool. Did you ever do art? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, throughout high school, I, uh, I took some art classes and then I guess maybe you might not even know this, but my freshman year of college, I went to Minnesota uh, and was the goal was to dual major in marketing and art uh, and, and to kind of go into graphic design, actually. And so I this is really like <laughs> this is a very revelatory moment for me. And I don't even know, like, what to do with this information anymore. Like, I've always only known I've only really known you since you like you were in optometry school when I met you. I think so. Yeah. So like, that's just like who you are to me. This idea that you're like a marketing business major at one point <laughs> in your life is a very, I'm like, I don't, I can, I can see it, but like, yeah, that's so crazy. No, I, I have no idea. I've always enjoyed creativity and art. And so, um, I actually, you know, was taking art classes from, uh, an art school in Minnesota. Um, and even though it wasn't the most pre prestigious art school, um, I kind of very quickly learned like, okay, 
I enjoy this. I'm not bad at it, but I don't have like the knack. And and I'm sure you guys know, you know, in a lot of these creative industries, like you have to be, you know, top, top of the top, best of the best uh, to, to kind of make it big uh, in, in the creative realm. We actually have a lot of people that argue otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Well then, well, yeah. well I'm, I'm, I'm the dropout that said, no, that's no, what well, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's an, but it's an interesting topic, but we have a lot of people who like, it, it's not that you have to be the best. You have to show up and like turn in the work on time mm -hmm. yeah, and do it well, you know, yeah. like three things you have to be good, fast or easy to work with. Usually like two or three of those. Right. Oh, yeah. I think that's yeah. what John Lucas said. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like, yeah, you can be two of the three and I think mm -hmm. he's not the only person to have said it. And like, yep. you know, he, he's not the fastest, right. But he's like yep. good and easy to work with. I think <laughs> was his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but you see that a lot where people like start to believe that like I have to truly be like one of the best to be successful. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see successful people and like listen to them talk and they're like, I'm I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not the best artist. I just like just stuck with it and said mm -hmm. yes to the project or, you know, yeah. kept practicing yeah. and like, and I got to this spot where like, um, cause it is a mixture of things. And anyway, it doesn't matter. You chose to go to optometry <laughs> school, but I just, yeah, that's crazy that like, I had no idea. Yeah. So, wow. and well, so a, I, I didn't think I could really make it in the field of, of, you know, a graphic designer art, but B, I actually did some observation with, um, you know, graphic designers in the marketing field <clears throat> and, um, and, and in taking marketing classes, I, I kind of came to the realization that I, I don't really want to sell people stuff for a living. I kind of think people have enough stuff and they probably should just like, you know, not value the things. And I don't want to be part of the, the marketing scheme for, mm. you know, capitalism and materialism and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I kind of took a step back and, and reoriented um, some, somewhere towards the, the medical field and, and having a desire to help people. Um, but the caveat there is I'm, uh, again, not the, the bravest soldier and I'm terribly, uh, <laughs> uh, weak stomach when it comes to blood, guts, needles, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, <laughs> medical school is not quite for me. So, um, optometry was a great outlet of, you know, being part of someone's medical care, being able to help them out. Um, but mm -hmm. then, uh, not having to, to cut anyone open or give them shots. Uh, so <laughs> that's fair. Enough. Well, huh. you do give shots sometimes, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's part of our training and actually I, I found I I'm much better at giving someone a shot than, than receiving. In horror movies and stuff, eyeballs are often like a, like a very sensitive part that's right. like highlighted in like, you know, a saw movie is like, it's about to be a needle in your eye or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. I almost feel like the eyeball could be just as disturbing as mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you're not like, we're going to start to go down a dark path here, but right. Like you're not in a body like cavity, like messing with a heart. Right. Like, right, right, so that's right, a different right. thing, I guess. But, um, I still feel like eyes can be disturbing. Right. And in there's own, plenty of right? people who have like, you know, oh. the fear of eyeballs and stuff. And, and weirdly eyeballs don't get to me. Um, but I actually have this secret fear that one day I'm going to wake up and just all of a sudden, like, eyeballs will freak me out and I won't be able to work anymore. <laughs> That's hilarious. I know. And like, it just dawned on me one day in clinic because mm. I had a patient talking about how scared she was of eyeballs. And I was like, what if I just wake up one day and I'm scared of eyeballs? Like, what uh, would I do? Go I wonder back if to that's ever hit design, somebody like yeah. another profession. Like, I'm really scared of gas meters, but I'm the gas meter reader guy. Like, it just like you just develop a phobia one night of your, your job. Sure. Um, so anyway, when I got into optometry school, um, I was really, uh, and, and there are different specialties, you know, subspecialties within optometry. And I found uh, the subsection of, of vision therapy and doing the, the behavioral and therapeutic treatment of vision disorders. And uh, working with those patients, I, I really saw it, the ability for this field to change people's lives. Um, so mm -hmm. especially developmentally, uh, we talked about amblyopia and improving vision, but there's other issues where Actually, some types of reading problems are, are rooted in poor eye movements hmm. um, uh, or, or poor eye alignment and eye strain while we read. Um, but then really the, the big thing for me was working with uh, adults and rehab patients um, who had perfectly normal lives, then had a stroke or a car accident, and are completely uh, debilitated by, by brain damage. Um, hmm. And so <clears throat> kind of talking about, you know, back to the, the VR stuff and, and that spatial orientation system, I have plenty of, of head injury patients who um, 
they can't walk straight or they can't stand up or have any sort of movement, um, you know, without their world being very, very disrupted. Um, and so I help um, kind of piece their world back together from a visual stance along with other professionals that work on the vestibular system and the um, proprioceptive system. But um, in school, um, that's kind of what draw me towards this field. Um, but I think what really um, makes me passionate about what I do now is is the ability to combine all of my worlds. So yeah, I do have that mm. minor background in art and, and have the hobby and, and interest in that. And so uh, I can take those quote unquote skills and apply them to my field in vision therapy um, to develop yeah. you know games and therapies for these uh, patients. Uh, and, and then you know adding with that my you know, my uh, joy of, of playing games and yeah, i was gonna say actually i had never thought about it but like you play board games uh-huh a, quite a bit mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. do those ever do you ever play something like we played a couple board games last night like are, is there anything where you're like you're looking at a board game and you're like oh man like with a tweak here or there this actually gets us somewhere absolutely yeah um and so uh mm. especially with our younger population uh, we work a lot, a lot with kids with you know developmental neurological vision disorders and so the big thing with kids is that you know they get bored easily and we have to try to you know, keep the therapies engaging. And so uh, the field of vision therapy has been around for, for many, many years, um, but it's always kind of been a little boring. And so, you know, kind of my goal with my career is to spice it up a little bit, make it a little more interactive, make it more fun. Um, I think VR is going to do a lot of great stuff for that. Um, but uh, again, with my emphasis in, in real space, uh, I've developed, you know, some, a few small little simple board games, uh, you know, for kids, even like, uh, for like four and five year olds, I have this little game that I developed that's like a, a zookeeper game where each kid gets this placemat with different animals in it. Um, and they're all, you know, kind of printed in, in the colors that work with the glasses. Uh, and then they roll a die I created with one or two or, or no dots on it. And however many, uh, you know, whatever they roll, they get to collect, you know, the animals that were set loose from the zoo and, and collect that many animals and put them back in their, their cages. And so, I don't know, just kind of like a fun, simple idea. Yeah, that's cool. Of how to, you know, engage a four and five year old with a, a, a game. I also now have a bone to pick with you because we've worked on designing a game for like three <laughs> years and it sounds like you're just making other games behind my back <laughs> and we've never really gotten anywhere. We have like oh. a prototype and that's about it. <laughs> Two timer. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Okay. So we'll change the color of our game to be green and red and then it'll be useful in your world and you'll work on it more. I'm oh. not going to say no. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, like, is there any, like, other things that um, you kind of find yourself drawing from the world around you to, to fuel, or I, even a flip of that, are there things in the job that you do that make you view the world around you differently? Uh, to answer the I guess the, the first part of the question, absolutely. Um, you know, and I'm just kind of like you mentioned when we're hanging out playing games, and, and I see something. Oh, well, yeah, with a, a small tweak here and there, that I can apply that to to what I'm trying to do and, and engage the patient in a new way. Um, but as far as what was the flip of that of just yeah. like, do you ever like think about? I guess the example that would come to mind is like there is probably an argument that things could be also designed a little bit better for people that are like struggling to make that connection of like, whether it's depth or like, could, could you design things with like a different color scheme that would help people better perceive, you know, distance from something or does that make sense? Like, could you create the world around you in, in some in small way no 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 like could you take the idea of what you're doing in therapy like mm-hmm. you say you like operating in real space right? right can you magnify that out to like a city block that's like really conducive to people that have um you know this type of visual issue mm-hmm. like do you ever does that even come into play um typically you know that, that that's an idea that has not occurred to me because my goal in therapy is to create that unique environment in a, on a, in a small level so that we can either develop or redevelop and rehabilitate systems that allow a patient to operate in that normal unaltered world gotcha um, right so the the mm. goal is to get these patients to functioning normally um, in in the everyday world 
Um, now I, I have, yes, had the dream of having like a big facility and I do like all sorts of weird stuff, like paint all the, the walls black so that I can use certain lighting and different things. So it's like a mm-hmm. totally awesome simulating so you need like environment. The, like the big like, movie studio hangar thing where you can just like build whatever environment yeah, inside of it. Yeah. Like, there you go. Nice. Um, so, you know, I've had that dream. Um, I actually have a, a friend who's opening a, a clinic. He does the same kind of work as I do uh, in San Diego. And and he decided to take the whole eye doctor model out the window. He's like, I'm not even going to have exam rooms. He's doing all this therapy stuff. He's like, I have like this like really cool, like renovated house with this giant yard. And we're just going to do all this outdoor free space kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's really exciting. So, yeah. Um, that's awesome. So that's cool. Yeah. So you are, you are thinking like outside of a traditional environment to your point, it doesn't help to this, those types of seeing problems aren't helped by changing the environment. Right. Like I guess where my brain was kind of going is like some visual cues that we encounter can actually be hard to like, no, like I think of like which lane is the left only turn lane or a straight, like, like the arrows faded. There's not like good signage. So like, that's kind of what I was thinking is like, Mm -hmm. are there better ways to design things to like, kind of communicate intuitively, but I guess that doesn't really cross over into what we're talking about. It was just kind of where my brain <laughs> wandered down the road of. Well, I think generally, um, you know, however long ago, whoever's making those decisions of like, you know, like, Oh, well, what colors do we make the stoplight and all the right. street signs and stuff. Uh, I, I think they had input from, from vision specialists or people who understood the visual system, because I think what we're, the systems we have in place are, are pretty good. But there's also things where like, you know, like okay we chose the color red as stop right and like but red also is a a color that if i remember correctly like kind of fuels like and like it's not a calming like you should stop it's like a like red means go almost in a way of like Mm -hmm. like you know mcdonald's uses it and target uses it it's a very popular color for like excitement and (laughs) and distraction and intent it is attention grabbing so maybe that's the reason you know like i don't know but um i also feel like yeah you know, and we've talked about this before, like, uh, science changes over time. So what we think makes sense, we can also, you know, 50 years down the road be like, oh, well, really, stop signs should be n- neon pink. You know, like, <laughs> they should be something yeah. that's not found in the natural world at all because sure. then it really jumps out at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. That, the total, total <laughs> non sequitur. Um, so, okay. Uh Man, I really wish we could talk to you more about like, there's so many other like, just this is always hard when it's somebody that I know, because I'm like, and then there's this other awesome stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. this was a really cool like conversation about just like what you do. And um, yep. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I didn't know about amblyopia until now. Um, I didn't know that's what it I was do called think it's really cool now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't know that's what it was called. Um <laughs> And it's cool to hear you talk about like what you do because it's just like, it's a different side of you that I don't get to see. Um, Mm -hmm. But with that being said, Aaron always likes to kind of finish uh, a conversation with, uh, I guess, a statement. So he's going to start a statement and you finish it with whatever comes to mind. (laughs) There are no wrong answers. (laughs) Right, right. It's easy. All right. I wish I could. Fly. Ooh. Okay. That's a good yeah. one. Yep. Yeah. That's so so our follow-up question, because this one's come up a couple times, right? Like, it's funny. Like, that's probably the most, the one that's been repeated the most at this point. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. In yeah. your dreams, <clears throat> how do you take off? <laughs> yeah. In my actual dreams or, like, if I could actually fly? In your actual dreams, how do you take off? Yeah. So I've had dreams where I can fly. Um, and I just can fly. I just, I'm stand. I don't have to run or jump off anything. I just, boop, I can fly just like I can walk. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So I always have so to, like, just... I do this like weird skipping thing. And on like the third or fourth <laughs> skip, like, I'm not kidding. Like, like a high skipping thing. And on the third or fourth one, like I basically go up and like, don't come back down. And at that point I can kind of like wonder yeah. woman fly. It's almost like float on like wind Uh yeah but i have to Mm. skip into it and that's been consistent since i was a little kid that's hilarious yeah 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 Mm -hmm. that's i'm very similar to the same yeah i i mean has anybody i would like to meet the person that's never had a dream where they can fly 
Like, I really feel like that's just like a universal, for some reason, everybody's had that dream. Did you interview Brian? He's never had a dream that he can fly. Brian told me one time that he, if Brian was interesting, I would interview him. But true. no, <laughs> oh. no he, he says he only remembers like a few, a handful of dreams. Like he just doesn't. He's one of those people who just doesn't remember his dreams. I have a friend who mm-hmm. almost literally cannot remember prior to two years ago, and I've what? known this person since they were ten years old. So like, I remember like thirty years of being friends with this person, right? Mm-hmm. And like most of the time I'm reminding them of things that we've done together because they just don't remember it. They remember like big, big stuff, but like, have you heard of amnesia? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's possible. I'll ask him. Yeah. He just, and and, I mean, probably like brought, I don't know. Yeah. I can't like, I'm not inside this person's head, but you would literally be sitting there and like, I mean, the first time was, um, we like I was at his house and it was the first time I'd really like hung out with him and I was in the kitchen I looked on the fridge and I was like oh that's a picture of me and Kevin like in scouts because we were in scouts together and uh like it was like an award ceremony or something and so I started talking about it and it's like what are you talking about and I was like we were we were in scouts together like we went we we shared a tent at a week-long camp and he's like I don't I don't he did not remember me being in the same what? troop as him, like at all, <laughs> not at all. That's nuts. and I was like, "There's a photograph of both of us side by side <laughs> on your fridge. Like, how do you? Here's proof. So, are you going like the parallel universe argument on this one? Or I don't know. I'm gonna have to rewatch Fringe and see where I come out on the other side. Yeah. That's the only explanation at this point. He's <laughs> no, a doppelganger. <laughs> Every two years, it's an alien who gets a new body yep. with like a brain reset. Oh my gosh, um, a twin. And he listens to the show. I hope this isn't like. Oh, it's anyway. So, but I also, I I haven't had a dream I could fly in a while. More recently, I'll have dreams, especially where like if I'm being chased, where all of a sudden I can't Mm. move anymore. Like like, I'll be running, but then all of a sudden I can't move my, like my legs stop working. Do you guys get that one? Yes. I've had it. I will say my dreams are much less action packed the older I get. Oh, my dreams are a hundred percent fantasy adventure. I never, never, never have like a real world dream. It's always like I'm in outer space and we're like out on this mission with all these cool people. Can we trade for like a I week? I know. Why do you think I like sleeping so much? <laughs> Mine have gotten very yeah. like, like over. The, I mean, I don't feel like I dream as much anymore. Um, and it like my dreams have pretty clearly gotten to like sorting out like the day. Life. You know, like like it's just like like it's an abstract version of it or whatever. But it's like. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. see how this piece connects to that piece over there earlier or whatever. Yeah, my dreams have gotten way more boring the older I've gotten because it used to be like yeah. blasters and flying and, you know, <laughs> um, trade off being sometimes horrifying nightmares, you know, like because oh, it gets too crazy. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the clowns yes. will get you. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. This was a lot of fun. It. I really, I, I was, was really good. looking forward to this conversation for a long time. And it, like, <laughs> I'm glad that we finally just did it. So yep. COVID has yeah, been the year good. of like, let's just do the thing that we've talked about for a long time <laughs> instead of like putting it off. Like there's no reason not to, mm-hmm. you know, like, so yeah. yeah. Very cool. All right. So good thanks. Stuff. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. Cool. Thanks guys. Look what I did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Hill.